This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Wednesday, 26th of July. Uh, 2023. And we have FOMC meeting today, of course. Yesterday, uh, equities closing. Uh, the S&P actually managed to scrape to a high close for the cycle. Interesting to note the divergence, though, with the NASDAQ 100 not quite making those highs uh, by any means. Uh, it's still a couple of percent off. And if we look at our equity theme baskets, and we'll be talking a bit more later in the podcast, we have Stan Jacobson with us with some, some interesting thoughts here on the Fed in particular. But noticing that one-week performance in commodities, the strongest of our Saxo equity theme baskets. And then perhaps underlining some of the, the divergence there in the NASDAQ, et cetera, we have uh, bubble stocks and semiconductors down there sort of in a laggard uh, performance-wise over the last week here. Uh, if we look uh, briefly at FX, so an interesting, very interesting setup for the U.S. dollar ahead of this Fed meeting tonight. I'm not sure there's a huge catalyst coming in terms of uh, Fed surprises, uh, we'll have to wait for the press conference for that with no uh, staff economic projections and, of course, no uh, Fed dot plot uh, available there. And, and this changes the statement don't tend to be uh, providing a lot of drama. Uh, so as I've emphasized here, if we look at your dollar as sort of a baseline and the dollar index is largely the same, we see that we're in this sort of pivotal area. We've come back below the prior high for the cycle, but arguably I think we need to tr- uh, close this week below 110 to suggest that we have some sort of a more significant chart reversal in place here. And of course, we have the ECB in the following day and the Bank of Japan uh, on Friday, as we've as we've emphasized. I think Urien as well, a very interesting one for what I'm thinking is going to be a pretty solid ECB dovish shift, um, partially this week's meeting, which has been flagged, but just in, in general from here as the European economy is suffering so badly whereas uh, the Bank of Japan is likely to tweak their policy. All right, Stane, I've got you on the podcast today. And as we noted at the top there, commodities in breakout here, we have anticipation of some Chinese stimulus coming online. And I put your chart there on slide four of this uh, uh, It's ETF. Uh, DBC is the uh, ticker there, a pretty broad tracker of, of a number of commodities. And I would just note technically that the interesting line there, you, you put in these uh, Shimoku lines here with a very popular uh, technical analysis strategy that uh, Japanese uh, traders came up with uh, back in the day. That lagging span uh, is the most interesting one there coming up so far above uh, the cloud. Arguably also just in general, we're, we're trading price-wise above the cloud as well. Sort of double confirmation perhaps that something is afoot here in commodities. So take us through your thoughts on, on commodities and then we'll get to the Fed in, in a second. Yeah, so what I think is going on in the in the commodity space is obviously uh, over the last couple of days this uh, uh, reinforcing China view that they will ultimately have to stimulate the economy, and I think there is a number of interpretation of that. One being that it's uh, still too conventional; it's in in this effort, and two that we ultimately will see MMT slash helicopter money coming out of uh, China. Uh, because uh, in Chinese media, of course, they're bringing forward Richard Ku, the Japanese, the Taiwanese Japanese economist who uh, has been playing a big role intellectually, at least on, on, on this issue of balance sheet recession. Uh, but on the other hand, you also see that agriculture prices are rallying quite significantly. Uh, they have been down for the year, should be noted, but now they are back to uh, to unchanged for the year and they continue to move higher. Uh, of course, El Nino, as all the talks about widely, is, is part of the agriculture pattern uh, going forward. 
but but nevertheless, we've seen that the the agriculture prices component of commodities going up, and then of course we see that the energy sector and the energy uh, products again has started to move. Everything from uh, European and gas TFF to of course WTI oil is now rallying. Oil is up by more than ten dollars over the course of the last ten trading days, uh, indicating one that there is a global demand, and two that the uh, winter is of course nearing. And as such, we see that the 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 uh, the unresolved issues of energy energy and energy transmission remains a focal point for the for the marketplace. And it's a very ugly situation for the ECB here. Um, let's actually maybe just uh, two, two seconds on the ECB since uh, since we have you here. I mean, we, clearly they're they're getting more cautious on the on the tightening front. They were you know they were late and, and pretty hard to adjust to the hawkish side. I've eased back on that a little bit. I've argued those they have the currency, uh, the euro currency in their sights to a degree as well, with its pronounced strength not only versus uh, the dollar but especially versus the Japanese yen and even the Chinese renminbi. So competitiveness of exports, etc. What, what's your view on on? I mean, this is the worst of all worlds, right? We've seen some horrific numbers out of Germany, weak growth, and here we have the risk of a, a fresh rise in commodity prices, which they probably don't even have on the radar like like you do. Uh, is Europe in the the worst uh, spot here of, of of all sort of major economic blocks? It's it's tough to say. I'm sure there's countries around the world that's worse than Europe. But but uh, but net net net, if you take the policies enacted on Europe uh, and the policies that Europe follows uh, voluntarily, and here we should add that October first, of course, Europe inter introduces a carbon tax. And uh, whatever you think about the carbon tax, one thing is for sure, it's not going to make products and inflation go down in, in prices. So. Uh, on top of that, of course, we have a very deliberate uh, move, uh, which is, you know, at least politically and uh, geologically good in terms of uh, energy transmission. But the problem is we don't really seem to be finding solution for it. And as such, then we end up with a situation where we have a lot of promises. Uh, we have a, a very tight monetary policy relative to the economic cycle that we seems to be in. I think the uh, PMIs this week uh, and IFO has confirmed the fact that uh, countries like Germany is in a, in a rough slowdown. We have the political unstable situation where at least we think that the social fabric will be tested. We saw it in the Spanish election and we most likely will see the uh, in countries like Germany and, and, and even Scandinavia over the course of the next couple of years where basically people are now trying to get real solution instead of promises about energy and future uh, green transformation. They really want to higher wages and they want their real disposable income to increase. So yes, I, I would agree that again, Europe, unfortunately, after some sunny spells here, uh, especially on the equity side, is is getting a little bit of negative traction from from the inability of Europe to actually move the agenda and be flexible. So part of the reason why ECB is so stern and so bullish on interest rates and, and as you say, came late to the party is that that when it's really one of the biggest economically uh, super tankers in the world. It's probably a bigger super tanker in terms of its uh, maneuverability and flexibility than both the US and, 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 and a country like China, which sound kind of ironic, but of course with the the way that we conduct policies in, in Europe and even in ECB uh, having to get a, a plural of agreement across, what is it, 27 nations, 28 nations today, uh, it, it's very difficult to actually be nimble uh, in these policy terms. And if there's anything you want to be right now, it's nimble. Yeah, and as well, Europe got a fr not a free ride, but it certainly got an enormous relief from the collapse uh, back in gas prices, the mild winter. 
etc. So uh, it will be really critical for uh, politically and inflation-wise to see what's happening with uh, with energy prices. All right, let's go over the Fed. We have a Fed meeting today. I, it doesn't feel to me like there's a huge surprise function in play here. I don't know what you say. We have you know 100% pricing, more or less, and fair, I would say, of the, of the uh, rate hike today that's been flagged, basically pre-committed to. And the Fed, I, I'm suspecting, will want to lean on uh, likely that it will eventually hike once more. The market's saying, eh, maybe. And if they do, it would be in November. So do you think that's really the focus? Or where is your focus for for emphasis, for example, in Powell's uh, press conference today, since we're not getting these projections on the economy, et cetera? Clearly, the market will be focusing on what we call the forward tilt, whether it's going to be hawkish or dovish or, or indicating that they're done. Least likely it is the fact that they're going to, you know, telegraph that they're done. But the growing sort of analysis or the growing uh, sort of way we feel about the market and, and Fed is that we have noticed that uh, Chair Powell has been uh, reluctant and and even uh, denying that there is a fiscal impulse in the U.S. And and for the listeners, I mean, one of the main drivers of growth in the U.S. has been the fact that you've had the RA Act, you've had the uh, Chips Act, and you've had a number of guarantees that has been issued on behalf of, for instance, the Ministry of Finance, which right now has $400 billion worth of uh, guarantees that they can issue to uh, pr projects around in the energy sector. So there's a huge amount of money to, in, in, in the public sector that kind of crowds out, as we say as economists, the private capital, and that keeps the economy humming. But uh, for some reasons, uh, or for very good reasons, uh, if you think about it, Mr. Powell continues to deny this, and this is in spite or almost uh, this Despite uh, that, historically, we've always listened to central bankers say that you know, monetary policy can only do so much, but now we need to hand over to fiscal policy. Now we have fiscal policy and Fed doesn't want to recognize this. And what's the reason behind that? We we think it's uh, yield curve control uh, neutral or, 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 or uh, invisible, is it rather the word, invisible uh, YCC. Because if you think about it, what, Fed, what Powell is trying to, to navigate is that he doesn't want interest rate to go up too far. Simply the interest rate burden and the ability of the U.S. economy to carry itself with this high level of nominal interest rate is at the borderline, certainly according to a number of economists that continues to believe in a recession, but also in terms of the delinquencies and, and the slowdown that we've seen in terms of the credit uh, function of the economy. At the same time, he also wants to uh, uh, reduce the balance sheet uh, size, uh, the so-called QT. And while he's doing that, of course, he needs the market to be stable. He doesn't want to run into a situation like in 2020 when the market froze over uh, and he didn't have the ability to do anything but inject money into the capital market. So so the, the title that Jade Powell is walking is that one, at the end of the day, fiscal is a political issue because the fiscal uh, lever sits with uh, Congress. Um, and secondly, he doesn't want interest rate to come down either, which is probably the biggest surprise for for many for many people. Because if he goes and 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 talks about the market and he's been done, one he will uh, sort of uh, put put uh, uh, the final uh, sort of nail into his uh, credibility on the inflation. But more importantly, he cannot keep the pressure on the economy in terms of dealing with the full employment. So we've ended up in a situation where, you know, at least to Fed, they want one low volatility and two, they want interest rate pretty much to stay at the same level as we are right now. 
and then allowing time and the the overall tightening of the conditions in the economy to do the 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 rest of the work. And I think that's that's kind of interesting because, of course, as you would know, John, that gives you a little bit of foresight into how the market would react because the function of this at the end of the day would be that we will see inflation not being curtailed enough and we will see the interest rate being capped and that ultimately would need uh, the dollar to take the brunt of the pain over time not right now in the short term but over the brunt of the next 12 to 18 months probably a slightly weaker dollar and uh, we would artificially get uh, financial conditions that are too low, uh, too loose in its its nature. Yeah, and one of the one of the ways that we've seen <clears throat> the market's ability to to rally to the degree to have has been liquidity and financial conditions, as you mentioned. And one of the factors there has been this this Treasury General account that rebuild that, that so many were fearing has been offset by a drawdown uh, to a degree in the Fed reverse repo facility. I show that on slide five. It's it sort of acts like a stored QE uh, in a way, and I, I wonder, do you see that as part of the sort of, you know, in the toolkit of the Fed to keep that long end uh, quite sort of quite stable and, and quiet, almost like a yield curve control via the Fed repo facility, or how do you view this facility? No, as as long as there is an uh, in uh, an orderly sort of uh, reduction of the reverse repo. At the same time as the uh, general account is getting replenished, of course, he ends up with uh, what was one of the primary targets I just talked about, which is that uh, volatility in the in the interest rate market remains low. And of course, the way we measure it, uh, very uh, as a fix, is basically the uh, the uh, the um, um, the volatility move index, M O M O V E index and that's been coming down uh, pretty dramatically from of course the the period of um, instability but also as a uh, indication that the, the nervousness about the future trajectory but also the liquidity seems to be uh, in uh, right now in in order so you're absolutely right john at the the sort of the reason why that the the volatility on interest rate is low is basically the uh, very orderly way by which the tga account has been replenished uh, from uh, reverse repo yeah because they reversed out the re reverse repo uh, holdings to, to be able to snap up those uh, that big issuance of bills to the treasury issue all right well, you thank can say sorry no go ahead uh, just just one one comment that the yeah the issue he has of course is that the u.s because of the fiscal dominance runs of massive current uh, budget deficit and a current account deficit so ultimately he will run out of time simply because the the weight of the new issuance will be higher than the ability of the reverse repo to be sort of the uh, the first uh, and and the saving grace of uh, of this uh, sort of long-term issue yeah, the dynamics of the deficit are scary indeed when you have these uh, new deficits building at a time when we have record low unemployment. So uh, we can only imagine what happens with those dynamics in a recession scenario. That's when the Fed is and the government are severely challenged on how to approach it. And I guess would be behind a somewhat stagflationary call as uh, we can't have real rates above a certain level in, in those types of conditions. Oh, right. Absolutely. And, and, and you know. A number of people want stagflation to be sort of uh, the, the third option from soft landing and a hard landing, which is recession. And, and a number of people and an increasing amount of people, of course, look for this stagflation to be uh, the real issue. All right. Great stuff, Stane. Thanks for, for joining the podcast today. And uh, let's see what the Fed shapes up with uh, this evening. And we'll follow up in the coming days. All right. Moving on to the earnings watch, we had 
earnings in from uh, Google and Microsoft, not generating enormous headlines. Google, I think there's a big, quite a big bit of relief there because of their ad revenue doing well, and there's no, no sense that the AI competition is is here and now. So uh, if if memory serves, the stock was up quite sharply after hours. Uh, Louis Vuitton um, was out, on the other hand, with some pretty negative results, and especially that slowdown in the U.S., minus 1% year-on-year. And a very interesting little nugget in their comments that the slowdown in the U.S. was particularly among aspirational customers and those in smaller cities. Could be suggesting some, uh, you know, some caution on the consumer basket, certainly on the lower end, uh, not the uh, the plutocrats that have extensive equity holdings, but uh, so-called aspirational customers. So those that are a little bit lower on the totem pole economically. Uh, so one of the first things you might drop if you're feeling a bit more pinched in your personal finances would be a luxury good, the likes of which uh, Louis Vuitton creates, et cetera. So uh, an interesting report there. We have Meta up after the close today. Watch that one. It's seen such a tremendous run up from the lows when it was uh, the market felt that Zuckerberg was uh, overinvesting in the metaverse, he's since pulled back from that. They announced a big buyback, et cetera. But uh, it has it has experienced quite a run-up. There is an AI focus there on their their Llama 2 so-called uh, product, which is a direct competitor and an open-source one with OpenAI's GPT system. Uh, the performance metrics there, not quite as good, apparently, but uh, catching up. I'm not an expert in, in the space, but the, there'll be a lot of focus on the AI side as well as the usual dominant focus on their ad revenue as well. But of course, as we look at the macro calendar, slide seven, it is all about the Fed, what the Powell press conference brings in terms of emphasis on guidance and where the focus and concerns are in inflation and wages, uh, for example, or not. And uh, again, I'm a bit uh, questioning what the surprise function is here around this meeting. I think the ECB and the Bank of Japan has a bit, have a bit more potential to surprise their respective currencies. Of course, that doesn't mean the dollar won't move. It'll certainly move on how the market is feeling uh, risk sentiment-wise as much as anything else. So stay tuned for that. Have a good one. We'll be back tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com.